Hey everybody, welcome to special quarantine edition of We Need to Talk About Kevin. I did not let anybody not come into the office, uh, including Valerie. I made everybody come to the We Need to Talk About Kevin recording studio because we're professionals and if we get sick, you know, that's just the hazards of the job. Uh, anyway, I'm Ted. I'm Rose. I'm Trevor. And once again, I sort of mentioned it earlier, which maybe I shouldn't have, but once again, we have returning guest, uh, Valerie. Welcome, Valerie. Hi, thank you for having me again. <laughs> it's very good to have you, especially with uh, what you brought for this episode. Valerie's back. So, she's back. Uh, she did some very dismal work, I'll say, for this episode. <laughs> but uh, before we get to that... This week, we did not watch the next movie. We watched Too Fat for 40, which is, I believe, the fourth uh, Q&A stand-up comedy series things that Kevin Smith has done. Yeah, we're going we're going mm-hmm. a little out of order here. The Evening with Kevin Smith trilogy all came before this one, I believe. Okay. Basically, he gets on stage, uh, he talks for a long time, and he takes question. Uh, just one. <laughs> um, <laughs> has anyone seen the other ones before does he usually do more than one question or does he do the same thing in all of them where he only ta- <laughs> pretends he's going to take questions and then takes one and talks for three fucking hours <laughs> I, I've seen one of her I've seen three evening I've only seen like an hour plus into it and then I just stopped I, and he took two, which is more than this. This That's pretty good. This yeah. thing is so fucking long. I, I, I can't. It's three hours twenty minutes. I can't <laughs> believe this shit. Just so everyone understands, what this is, uh, is in theory, it, it's Kevin doing a stage show, and the idea is that he's doing a a Q and A thing, but it's really just him doing really bad stand up. And it's three and a half fucking hours long. And uh, and he even has a thing. But right before he starts taking questions, he says, you know, I have a tendency to get long winded or whatever. I'm going to try to to make my answers as quick as I can so that I can get to as many questions as possible. The first guy that asked him a question is, what was it like working with Bruce Willis on Cop Out? And he says, oh, it's a long story. And then the next three hours of the thing, the whole thing is just him giving a very long, <laughs> rambling response. It takes him over an hour yeah. to get to oh, that, well, just yeah. to answer that. Because because what becomes clear is that it's not actually about answering the question. This is just him doing the prepared set that he planned on doing with all the stories he wanted to tell. And he does eventually talk about Bruce Willis in it. But it's like uh-huh. it has nothing to do with the guy's question. It's just, this is this is just the 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 Q and A format is just like a loose kind of veil for. Basically, it's pretty obvious what's really happening here. Kevin Smith wishes that he could be a stand-up comedian, but obviously he can't. But he do, and he's a little bit too self-conscious to be like you know. I'm doing a stand-up special. This is Kevin Smith doing stand-up. So he couches it in this fake idea that he's doing a Q&A, but it's clearly yeah. just him d- trying to do his approximation of stand-up comedy. And it's really unfunny and bad and way too fucking long. 
a normal stand-up yes. special is like an hour, maybe a little bit more. This is Kevin Smith doing stand-up to a crowd of people who fucking adore him and not yeah. even really killing. Like, he gets mm -hmm. laughs, obviously, uh -huh. but he's not even, like, he has this huge crowd of devoted fans, and he's, like, not even really killing. They're, like, they just kind of laugh whenever they're supposed to. It's not, he, yeah. he sucks so much. He wants it to be stand-up, but the audience doesn't. They just want to, like, hang out with Kevin Smith for a little bit. So what it is, is it's boring stand-up, or just like so a guy that's boring. kind of funny at a party. Mm -hmm. But that's what yeah. the audience wants, so they're into it. And like, I don't even know if I would call it bad stand-up, because bad stand-up is like, atrocious. This is just boring. Mm -hmm. And it's 200 minutes. Yeah, that, that's what felt like very um, odd about it. And honestly, I gotta say, I even kind of respect it. Not on like an art, not on an, like an artistic craft level, but like on a laziness <laughs> level. I respect the fact that um, Kevin. I mean, you know, the Q and A thing. It seems to be some type of like meta joke thing that he's doing. Like I assume that's a bit I, or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> it's got to be a bit, but like the whole thing is. I guess you would call it stand-up, but it's really Kevin somehow got a shit ton of money to get someone to film him being, like, the annoying long-winded guy at a party for, like, four I hours. I don't think he got a shit ton of money to do this. I think this is... He does this purely for like his own gratification <laughs> for, the, for the attention. Yeah, no, this is he just wants to do this. He he. Yeah, Th this man loves to fucking talk. It's what he loves <laughs> yeah. more than anything. And he has no ability to edit himself. He can't even edit yeah. his rambling, boring, shitty thoughts down to like an hour or even two hours. It's a three and a half hour show and he doesn't say a single thing that's funny or illuminating or interesting. And also none of it fucking happened. His, every story that he tells uh, yeah. in this thing, it both is really dull and boring, but also sounds like he's making it up. <laughs> he he talks about like one of the first times he really smoked weed and got stoned for like 45 it's minutes. Such a fake it's so story. Long. It's so and fake it's like, sounding and not funny either. It's it's just like the like whenever you meet somebody who like smoked weed for the first time in like their mid 20s, it's what they say about it but more boring it's i don't even worst. understand how you do that it sucks yeah that story is just it's so clearly him just having a midlife crisis and wanting to seem cool to seth rogan yes. exactly yes and he, he almost like admits to it but in a way where it's like no he's still ashamed of it so it kind of like i don't know Ugh. Yeah, a lot of the stories that were featured in this, I actually did remember because I used to listen to Smallcast a lot. And what's funny is that, like, when I was younger listening to it, Kevin Smith sounded kind of cool in a way. He seemed like this guy who was, like, um, an average dude who uh, 
who didn't really care about like the pol- the the etiquette of Hollywood or whatever. Yeah. And these stories seem kind of relatable. But now that I'm older, especially the weed smoking stuff, I'm like, dude, you shouldn't be 40 years old and thinking that smoking weed is like this cool badass thing. He, like you have to be past this by now. He spends like 15 minutes of that story just talking about taking a shit. <laughs> yeah. God. there's so so many descriptions of kevin smith's shit and his balls and him wiping his ass it's it's so fucking gross and it's not even like it's not even funny is the problem like trev you were saying earlier the thing about this is that if this was an actual stand-up set he'd be booed off the stage there's so few yeah. actual good jokes it's a purely um uh, to borrow from Shannon Strucci, it's like a purely parasocial event. Exactly. Where it's almost like a Comic Con um, meet and greet or something. When I was watching it, I felt out of the loop because I was like, this only works if you really care about Kevin Smith. I mean, which I do, but not in this way. <laughs> <laughs> The thing that got me was when he's describing being high, he does the, he says the thing that everybody says, where it's like, mm-hmm. I thought it had only been like a few seconds, but it was like a couple minutes. It had been uh, two but hours. He s- <laughs> yeah, he stretched it out so long to the point of like, Such you would bullshit. not have been high anymore three mm-hmm. hours later. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's so stupid. On no drug that you would just do with your wife while hanging out, you're not going to be high it's, for five fucking hours. It's clearly Insanity. just a made up story. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's total, total bullshit. And and in the, in the Seth Rogen story as well, like when he was telling that, and Seth Rogen being the weed god, I need to do some fact checking on this. But from what I've heard, uh, Seth Rogen, like the weed smoking thing, is much more of like a brand than anything. Yeah. It's more of like a, it's more of a character he does, like the stoned guy. I don't think he smokes like that much weed anymore. And it makes Kevin, it just makes Kevin sound so fucking lame. Well, yeah. That, uh, well, back in the day, that I, he's I, smoking I, weed to impress him. I do think at that point, Seth Rogen did actually smoke a lot of weed, but also like the, he's like grew out of it or mm-hmm. something. I don't know. Th- this idea that Kevin, he's was just like, become like successful. He's become yeah. successful now. <laughs> the idea that Kevin was like yeah. reluctant to smoke with him or whatever and that like Seth kind of had to twist his arm like I don't believe that at all like I think Kevin Smith <laughs> immediately wanted to seem cool to him probably went and practiced smoking weed on his own to like get ready for it and shit <laughs> Practice. He, he, yeah. he clearly wanted to like look cool to Seth Rogen and then he's telling the story yeah. in a way where it's like yeah you know I wasn't even I don't even smoke weed that much, but he really wanted to smoke with me or whatever. And it's like, I don't fucking believe you. <laughs> that's the other, that's the other part of these stories that has changed for me since like hearing them originally when I was a teenager is also just realizing that in most of these stories, Kevin probably is like, he probably is kind of the annoying asshole. <laughs> like, especially when he talks about Bruce Willis. Oh, I'm like, Bruce yes, was yeah. probably in the right on all of these things. Oh yeah. So, so much of what he says confirmed shit that we like talked about on the very last episode just stuff that we like kind of assumed 
and he's telling this story about Bruce Willis, and this is obviously like a completely fictionalized version of the story that's supposed to make him not look bad, but it's still obvious from his telling of the story that he was being such an obnoxious piece of shit to Bruce Willis on the set, and you can mm-hmm. completely see it from Bruce's point of view and understand why you would absolutely hate working with this guy. <laughs> yeah, every, every story Kevin told, I was like, man, Bruce actually sounds kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, I would yes. much rather hang it with Bruce Willis. One thing that, like, I actually found sort of interesting about this, the only thing, um, is that he when he's describing working with Bruce Willis, he sort of goes through how he directs. And he starts off with like, you know, actors know what they do, what they're doing. I don't really like get in there and tell them what to do or whatever. (laughs) Then he goes on another tangent for a while. And then later he's like, and then at one point, like Bruce asked me what kind of lens we were shooting. And I was like, I don't know. And then so like, (laughs) what do you do? Yeah, yeah. He, (laughs) you're not doing anything. He openly admits to like not knowing how to direct movies and being bad at it throughout this whole special. He's talking about how he doesn't know about the visual aspect of it. He doesn't know the technical stuff. He doesn't really know anything about making movies. He sucks at it. Bruce Willis clowned on him and mocked him for not knowing the type Mm -hmm. of lens he was using. Like, (laughs) fuck it, Bruce. And above it all, that. He, he also doesn't care, mm-hmm. which is the part that, like, yeah. <laughs> Kevin was describing himself in ways that were, like, meaner than how I would be comfortable describing yeah. him. Yeah, just me. full out saying, I'm not a filmmaker, I don't care about making films, films just seemed like the easiest thing for me to do. I was like, holy shit, Kevin, you're coming out and saying Vindication it. for Trev. Everything I've been saying about him <laughs> all along. He just admits it. Oh my god, he admitted. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. He admitted. Oh my god, he admitted. <laughs> I'm gonna put that in. In any other, not any other, in a lot of other jobs, if somebody admitted to being like, "Yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing, and I don't really do a lot," I'd be like, "That's pretty cool." Mm-hmm. Like, I respect you know being a piece of shit and not doing anything all the time. <laughs> but like, your job is fun and cool. Put mm-hmm. some effort into it's the greatest, it, man. It's the greatest job in the world. Yeah. Like, there's so mm-hmm. many people that are dying to be filmed. He describes it as and... just watching TV all the time. Yeah. And like, cool, then, you know, try hard at it, man. Like, you don't even have to try hard at it. Just like, get into it. Have fun with it. Don't admit to doing it lazily and also not knowing anything. <laughs> don't fucking and... don't fucking waste Bruce Willis's time. You admit mm-hmm. that you suck <laughs> and you can't make movies. Don't like fuck off. Just what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Don't even do it. This is how we know that he doesn't understand the character of Dante because he's he has the thing he always wanted and still he is Dante through and through and he doesn't put exactly. any effort into what he does. Mm-hmm. Like that was easily the most interesting part of the whole special to me. That is when I really perked up because he was saying everything that I feel like we've been theorizing yeah. about him this whole time. <laughs> uh, but the, the part that I found the most interesting of it all was when he talked about how his early films, he looks at those and they don't even feel like films to him but his recent ones more so do and i found that so interesting because i mean he does admit that he was more genuine early on which is part of what i like about those early films yeah i just found it so interesting that he looked back at like clerks and chasing amy as not being real films when to me those two films are probably the most um the most cinematically just 
interesting of his entire catalog and it's his later stuff like zach and mary and fucking cop out that are just so um they're so by the numbers that you instantly forget them and to him those are more real films because i think they resemble what he understands a film to be which is like shitty studio schlock i don't i don't think so because i mean he sort of admits that like he kind of admits that Zack and Miri isn't very good, and I guess he doesn't really get into cop out. And but like, I mean, uh, I, I think he says he he says like, he sees he... himself as more of a filmmaker now, and I think that's probably just that he has more of an idea of himself as a filmmaker. Yeah. Right. But like I don't think it's kind of like each movie he has some excuse for he makes so many excuses for why like Zack and Miri mm-hmm. sucks. And it's like mm-hmm. I-, I think what he means is that like when he was making clerks or whatever, he wasn't like a real filmmaker, he was just fucking around. But like now he's like a real filmmaker. Yeah. But the fact that each of his movies are garbage, like it's not his fault, it's be it's because of this or because of that. But and also, you have to consider that while this was happening, he was in the process of making Red State, I think, which was his most <laughs> ambitious True, yeah. movie to date. And like making that, mm. that was like, okay, this is it. This is where I really become a right, filmmaker. Yeah. This is my no country mm-hmm. for old men. I'm a real director now. So oh, like, yeah. so probably That's, Zach yeah. and Miri and Cop Out, those were like, whoops, I fucked up. I did a bad job, but I'm a real filmmaker. I'll show everyone with mm-hmm. Red State. No, that that is a good point. I didn't think about the fact that Red State was being made at that time. So that's probably what that's probably the mindset that he's in, that he's making this prestige horror film now and he's grown up. But I still find it very interesting for him to be shrugging off those early films when they to me at least are so much better than he's, anything he's he would he's make r- afterwards. right though cuz they're garbage and they're not films. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, Valerie, I'm interested in your perspective of uh, how this special compares to the earlier one, like how Kevin Smith has changed over time. I I feel like how he's changed over time is the fact that he really, I I think he really cares about his brand branding here with this. Oh mm -hmm. yes. Like, because in the earlier one, he was he was literally just even though he from what i saw he he it took him a while to do the stories because he had other stories he wanted to tell too but he eventually got through the stories and i think he has his contentment for his fans is showing more here in a way Mm. because he clearly does not care about their questions if he has this yeah. guy who I'm theorizing could be like a plant, honestly. I don't, I don't, weird th- if he I don't wasn't. think so. I don't think he was in on I it. I think it has to be. He seems I like think a, it has to be meta joke. He seems like a real guy. Even if he was doing that as an intentional bit, I'm pretty sure that was a real guy who asked a real question and then was forced to stand there for the entire show. Three and a half hours. Yeah, like an hour and a half later, suddenly we cut back and the guy is still standing there in the aisle Mm -hmm. at the microphone with a spotlight on him. 
And oh. I'm thinking, and it, and for a while I was like timing Kevin because I was like, he's taking a really long time to answer this question. I wanted to see how long it would take him to answer one question. And slowly it dawned on me that like, oh, <laughs> this is never gonna end. And then realizing that he was forcing this guy to stand for the entire show, I'm like, dude, go back to your mm -hmm. seat. Go sit down. Mm -hmm. What are you standing mm -hmm. for? But it was all just so he could do that little joke at the end and be like, does that answer your question or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Valerie, what you were saying with the branding, um, I haven't seen the early specials that he did, but that is something that definitely stood out to me in this one that I found pretty interesting. And um, part of why I wanted to watch uh, Too Fat for 40 was because it feels like this moment in time where Kevin Smith's cultural presence is really um, waning. And in this special, you really feel not just him slipping out of style, but also him really losing connection to his audience. Because with, I mean, what I still enjoy about Clerks is its authenticity. And I think what drew a lot of people to Kevin Smith early on was he was this very authentic guy. And in this special, it's like, it's a rich person trying to approximate this like more lowbrow kind of working class aesthetic, like trying to draw on what came naturally uh, from him before when he was actually struggling. And I don't know, there was something really interesting about the dichotomy between the fact that the whole set, like it's him in the jersey and it's like the the rundown, it's like the, the wall behind him and all that. Mm -hmm. But then he's talking about like buying, you know, three seats on an airplane and he's saying how he can't relate to people that have money problems <laughs> and that he like hates uh, Zach and Miri from Zach and Miri Make a Porno, which is also like what we mentioned on a previous episode, that that mm -hmm. film feels hostile towards them. It, it, there was like um, almost an uncanny valley to this performance. I just want to say I have my doubts about whether he was ever really working class or struggling. I mean, he had <laughs> he had a, he had a job like at the convenience store, but I don't really get the sense that he grew up from a working class background. He probably had a pretty <laughs> comfortable childhood. Well, even like if he wasn't like poor growing up, but just like starting out he had that feeling of an average dude that somehow got into hollywood and that's where i think a lot of his fans come from so now you reach special number four and you have all these fans that still want that kevin but he's not that kevin anymore now he's like he's a rich bastard <laughs> who hates the poor and uh, he has to pretend to still be this guy that he's just not. And it's total branding. Yeah. It's marketing. It, by this point, at this point in Kevin's career, he had settled on this uniform, this outfit that mm -hmm. he always yes. had, the mm -hmm. huge oversized mm -hmm. hockey Jersey and the enormous jean shorts. And now <laughs> this was, this was of course the pre heart attack, Kevin, uh, yeah. Yes. But uh, yeah, the modern Kevin has a different uniform. He wears that like purple blazer or whatever, and mm -hmm. like, I have trouble yeah. deciding which yeah. one. I think the modern Kevin's actually more annoying to me. 
Yeah, I I agree. I'm not a fan of modern Kevin. But yeah, but, Kevin, but this bad. but this was the point in his career where he wore an enormous hockey jersey every single time he was seen, <laughs> and it's really yeah, it really is like a branding thing. And uh, yeah. this quality about Kevin that you keep referring to as authenticity. Uh, I think it's that early in his career he gave this sort of appearance of authenticity and then spent a long time trying to sort of reapproximate what it was about him that seemed authentic. And that metastasized yeah. to him always wearing a novelty hockey jersey, which is incredibly inauthentic. I think yeah. this one says Puck You, which is. Yeah, Puck You. Very good. funny. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and l later on, I, I I think pretty soon after this special, those jerseys actually do become literal branding. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Because he'll go around with like the Smodcast they, they jersey say fat, or fat man, even fat man on Batman. Even more, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but even more embarrassing, uh, the photos of him with the jersey that just has the IMDb logo. Oh my on god! Oh yeah, I hate that. I'm like, jeez, that jersey. When I see him in that, I'm like, this is the lowest of the low. Like, this is the lowest you've sunk. Oh, what a piece! Speaking of, of the lowest of the low, uh, the line he exits on. Oh no, I'm not ready this. for this. You're not ready? No, we can do it. Oh, I hated it. Um, the line he exits on in this. Uh, so for a little background, his mother is at this show. His mom is makes there. Some, for yeah, this makes whole, some annoying jokes. For this whole shameful display, his mom has yeah, to sit. Yeah, 200 minutes. <laughs> my mom, even if it was good, my mom would have left after an hour and a half. His poor Catholic mother, he even talks about how his mom <laughs> yeah. had like, delicate sensibilities and doesn't like dirty language and stuff. <laughs> but... Anyway, as we know, Kevin loves to talk about fucking as well. Oh my god. <laughs> he, he uh, so, yeah. this all comes to he a head. He loves banging his friggin' wife. He loves it. <laughs> um, and this all comes to a head at the end of the show where he's like saying his goodbyes and he points to his mom out in the crowd and says, That's the pussy I came from. Ugh. And then he points Ugh. to his wife and says, that's the pussy I'm going to tonight. Ugh. How can um, you talk about your mother like that to her yeah. face? Not about her, to, her to his mother in like that. In front of oh a cr huge crowd of people. That's disgusting. And to be filmed Wait. to be on the internet forever. Oh my God. Always. No, number one, gross. But also number two, very weird, like Oedipal Freudian yeah. shit going mm. on there. And also yeah. rude. <laughs> Yeah, very <laughs> rude to it's, your mom. Yeah, it's not, and it's very not. Rude. There's nothing funny about it. It falls into that mold of humor he has, where he thinks that like just saying the dirtiest thing you can think of, like, is automatically a joke. So yeah. it's like you're not supposed to say that about your mom. So it's funny to say yeah. it, and it's like also mm -hmm. I'm gonna fuck my wife. So I'm like connecting the dots there. But it's like you're yeah. not making a joke. You're just being disgusting. You're saying stuff that people don't say for a reason <laughs> because it's fucking gross, dude. Uh, I, I, I feel bad for the listeners at home. Unlike the other topics we've taken on, it's hard to give like a real recap of this thing because it is just this horribly meandering uh, not even stand-up set, just a guy rambling forever. But I will say like the what are like the major categories of stories because they do repeat are like um i want to fuck my wife um i do fuck gay, my wife mm -hmm. 
I, I want to fuck my wife. I do fuck my wife. Um, I, t- t- I took a shit. Uh, I took a shit. My ass stinks. My balls stink. I love um, this guy. I've loved him for my whole life. And then I met him and he was like either cool to me or kind of rude to me. But I still think he's cool. That's a big thing in there. Um, people in my industry generally don't like me, but it's their fault. <laughs> yes, 100%. Uh, and uh, I smoke weed now, LMAO. Mm-hmm. At 38. At 38. Which, to be oh. fair to Kevin, is the funniest age to start smoking yeah, weed. He also, really good job. That's the funniest time you could do it. When he was building up to telling the Bruce Willis story, he talked about getting into smoking weed. I thought he was going to talk about the fact that he was smoking weed all the time on the cop-out set, and that was why Bruce Willis hated him. But he didn't <laughs> mention, Did not mention that. It. <laughs> so, so like, yeah, he told this very sanitized version of the story where he wasn't even he was trying not to be too negative about Bruce Willis, but like <laughs> he was telling it in a way where it's supposed to be funny, but he's kind of trying to make Bruce Willis sound like an asshole, but really he sounds like yeah. more of an asshole. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but yeah, he does. Like but he story... doesn't. He doesn't even mention the thing that Bruce Willis said, which, which was that. Kevin Smith was constantly getting high on the set and just being an irresponsible dipshit. <laughs> yeah, like it really seems that Bruce's main problem is that Kevin wasn't being a professional and he was wasting his time, which I'm like, fair. Yeah. Bruce mm-hmm. Willis is an absolute fucking legend. Yeah. You don't waste his time. Like one of the stories he told was like about some scene in Kaba they did like 25 takes for and then Kevin asked Bruce to do another take like way later on and Bruce was annoyed about it and I'm like fuck yeah Bruce is annoyed about it 25 takes is something that like David Fincher can (laughs) ask for and it's still demanding but actors will do it because it's a David Fincher film and the performance will be good in the end but like he was getting him to do some shitty joke that I didn't even remember from the film like 25 times yeah it sucks like so clearly I love the stuff about Bruce Willis ripping pages out of the script because like <laughs> that what, ruled, what, yeah. what he was saying it sounded like he was completely right he was like this is just useless shit that the script doesn't need you know it's not funny or interesting and i'm like yeah i believe him i trust i trust bruce willis's instincts over uh, kevin's as a filmmaker it, bruce willis put in the right amount of effort yeah. into he that did. movie which and was it zero. should be noted that like even when kevin is recapping making cop it the way he starts the story is by saying that like he thought it would be super easy to direct and yes. he didn't try very hard mm-hmm. and it wasn't his script it was like a friend of his he's or such an asshole and, and right at the beginning of production he like fucked off somewhere to go play like hockey or something yeah i don't know to go play roller hockey in canada <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and bruce and bruce willis i think was like mocking him for that and like and like getting annoyed and confused like why he was um what, he, what was kevin doing was like it was some big theater it was like was it madison square garden that'd be too big no 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 it was carnegie hall carnegie right, hall and it was one right. of the famous ones carnegie hall and bruce willis is just like what do you do there and you can so totally tell that like all that's going on is that bruce willis is seeing kevin being really unprofessional straight out of the gate and then 
hearing him say that he's gonna like talk to this audience at Carnegie Hall, Bruce Willis is just like, "Who the fuck would ever listen to you?" Yeah, and he's, and I'm he's like, asking yeah, Bruce right. Willis to come perform to support him, like open for him at his stupid fucking show. <laughs> no, he does say he would open for Bruce, but which is probably that, a lie. That doesn't make any sense. He's the one that booked the place. You don't be like, oh, now it's actually going to be a Bruce Willis show and I'm opening. <laughs> That's not how it works. It Definitely uh, Team Bruce all the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Team, team Bruce. Bruce Willis came off so good in these stories. <laughs> like, I I respect him more than when Kevin started talking about him. And I I almost think like that is honestly Kevin's intention is that he knows that he's kind of a piece of shit and he respects he respects Bruce a lot and he also when working with him just respected him more uh, so like i think I so kevin, i think he kevin, i think he hates he, he's, he's trying to be like self-effacing he because it's mm-hmm. not in his kind of stage character to come out and be like bruce willis is an asshole fuck him because this whole thing is being self-deprecating or whatever but mm-hmm. like well, yeah, the way true. he tells the story clearly betrays at certain points he's trying to show like this guy's kind of like an asshole right but he's mm-hmm. doing it in yeah. a way where it's like Oh, I'm just so scared of him. I'm just this fat little dork, and Bruce Willis scares uh-huh. me too much. And like he's trying to make him sound like a bully, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he sounded like he was being fine, and Kevin was just being a dickhead. <laughs> I, I I agree that Trevor, but I think there's more to it because in the uh, oh, not to the, get ahead of it, book. but in the book he talks yes. about his like. He was a he was like a huge uh, Bruce Willis fan in the eighties. Like of he course. goes into being like a hardcore like moonlighting fan, and uh-huh. he even learned how to drive listening to Bruce Willis's blues album. Yes. Uh, oh my God! Uh, what's that called? The Bruno. The Return Bruno. of Bruno. Uh, Return of Bruno. Yes. That's what I'll play for the uh, music in this episode. Hell, hell yeah! And you know what? Even that album, like that—that's the kind of indulgent shit that honestly, I'm totally fine mm-hmm. with. I'm like Bruce Willis, you're a Hollywood legend. If you want to make like this, uh, was it blues album? Mm-hmm. This like soft blues album. Go ahead, dude. You. Yeah. It. Why not? Who cares? Why not? Bruce Willis is fucking cool. He's done more good work than Kevin could ever dream of. Mm -hmm. (laughs) One episode of Moonlighting has more love and talent put into it than anything Kevin has put out. (laughs) 100%. I've never seen that show. I've never seen it, but I agree. Yeah. Connected to the way that he's talking about Bruce Willis, um, I think... Like you were saying, there is this undercurrent of resentment and I think a disdain from Kevin. Um, I think this ties into like other parts too, especially um, when he talks about Ben Affleck. Oh Um, my God. This is like, before it was kind of weird, but in this special, this special, like one of Kevin's friends should have come up to him afterwards and been like, you can't talk about Ben Affleck like that (laughs) because he was the jokes he was making about Ben Affleck, even though they were supposed to be innocent and goofy and were friends or whatever, had this like weird undercurrent of just nastiness. I'm I'm telling you, Kevin is an envious little freak 
and he he's constantly like uh doing this thing where he has to neg his more talented friends he does it with yeah. jason mm-hmm. lee too remember he's talking about the tour bus mm-hmm. and he pretends not to know the name of the movie almost famous where he's mm-hmm. like oh what's the name of that movie jason lee was in and waits for someone in the <laughs> oh. crowd to shout it out and it's like oh almost famous is that what it's called you know the name <laughs> of the fucking movie like he, he's like because uh, we talked about in a previous episode about him being like sort of like resentful or jealous towards jason muse and I, every time he talks about ben affleck he has to say something about him being gay it always has to be like a gay joke he can't help but like neg his friends and it's like he's pretending it to be like a playful thing but there's clearly spite in it it really (laughs) comes through clearly especially when he's talking about ben affleck because ben is a big ben is like a big star and he's handsome and like Mm -hmm. come on and i think this is an important time to remind our listening audience that kevin is catholic so this like this repressed anger and <laughs> passive aggressive attitude, I'm it falls in line for me. <laughs> it, it it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Watching Kevin talk for three hours is my personal hell. It, <laughs> my if I went to hell, it would just be this: just Kevin Smith talking about his life. It'd be you alone in a theater. Yeah. Kevin just staring into your soul. And he could. He could fucking talk about these mundane, made-up stories about his bullshit life and for eternity. He could just talk and never stop talking if you let him. Uh, Last couple things I'll say is, um, firstly, watching this made me realize that, like... um, even though I, I do remember enjoying him on podcasts, and I do think he has a way of speaking, no. which is... No, <laughs> Which is engaging a certain way. Watching this special, and it's three and a half hour length and all that, made me realize that Kevin is the worst kind of person to smoke weed with. Oh my I God. would never want to smoke weed with this dude. Holy shit. Imagine the fucking rants. And uh, the other thing is that I was thinking grimly today... Uh, you know, it's 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 coronavirus season. I'm in isolation right now. And being stuck with like complete social isolation in my fucking basement apartment and then watching like three and a half hours of Kevin Smith, it did <laughs> fill me with this like <laughs> with this real sense of just dread and and paranoia i'm like in i'm like my god like two three weeks for now when i continue to be isolated and watching kevin smith films like what kinds of visions and dreams am i going to start getting i'm gonna start dreaming of the fucking cast of clerks i I just (laughs) i just have to say i cannot tolerate this mythical idea that i've heard expressed before (laughs) that Kevin Smith has some sort of talent for conversation or public speaking. Mm-hmm. The man I think he's the a man is a complete dullard. <laughs> there is nothing worse than listening to this guy talk. He is an well, he is luck. a boring, unfunny <laughs> asshole. Fuck him. <you. laughs> Sorry, I want I want to I, I do want to hear from Valerie though. <laughs> Real quick. I had an extremely cursed thought. <laughs> 
uh, Kevin Smith Let's Play series. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> you, yes. You know he fucking sucks Please. at video games. I can imagine uh, him <laughs> just dying over and over and making terrible sex jokes. Wait. Ugh. Horrible. Has Kevin Smith Kevin played has to say a D&D? Super Mario Brothers three? Oh, God. God damn it! <laughs> All right, before we get sucked down this hole of terrible shit, uh, Valerie read Kevin Smith's book. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what it's called because I'm very it's, bad at this. It's called Tough Shit: Life Advice from a Fat Lazy Slob Who Did oh, Good. Oh, Are you fucking kidding God, me? I already hate it. No, that's, that's so much thing. worse than Sounds I thought it would be. Reference. This this is like the ultimate. <laughs> This is like the ultimate <laughs> Kevin's receipt. A, a book, yeah. a book is the greatest receipt of all. You could say. Mm-hmm. That's Valerie, people do I say just, that. Valerie, I just have to tip my hat to you because this is a mission that none of us were willing to go on. <laughs> I, no, I would refuse. I wouldn't read a chapter of the fucking thing. You are so much stronger than me. Thanks. Thank you for reading <laughs> this. Well, please, please tell us what you have discovered from uh, this sacred text. There is so much to say about this oh no this, there's <laughs> God too <damn>. much <laughs> so let's start from the beginning shall we oh boy uh, All right. yes please uh, yes. so at the very beginning of the book he talks about how he is the product of his father Don Smith Spalls that is how he starts oh, the right. book yeah. He That's, loves yep. talking about his dad's balls. His Twitter bio mm-hmm. is about his fucking dad's balls. Mm-hmm. He's obsessed. His dad's balls and his mom's puss. Oh my god. <laughs> fucking disgusting freak. Sorry, continue. <laughs> and he's... <laughs> he's... He just talks about them and talks about them and talks about them. And then he goes into talking about how he... Uh, he goes into how we should all be grateful about our, about our lives because we all started out as sperm. It honestly is the most uh, pro-life <laughs> screed I've ever read. Because he thinks weird. that all people are, all sperm is people, and and every like uh, uh, time someone masturbates is like a lot of sperm just never being able to be alive. So it's like that Monty Python skit about Catholics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every sperm is sacred. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> From there, he talks. He goes very patriar- uh, p- patriarchal, and he talks about how like he credits his life more to his dad than his mom because of his dad's life. Uh-huh. Because his uh-huh. his dad worked at the post office. He did come from like a well, in his words, he comes from a lower, lower, lower um, middle class family because he refuses huh. to think of himself as a worker or as poor because <laughs> he's a conservative Republican. <laughs> <laughs> and so he uh, goes into just talking about how like he always wanted to do something that wouldn't feel like work, and he talks a lot about how he loves George Carlin <sighs> and how that was a special thing between him and Zez was watching comedy movies and watching George Carlin stand up right God. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that does kind of give an interesting context to George Carlin being inserted into so yeah. many of his films mm-hmm. did, did, did Kevin Smith's dad uh, die when he was uh, young 
His dad died like in the early 2000s. Oh, okay. No, oh, no. okay. Yeah. I had I had this Oedipal theory of Kevin forming in my head that he was seeking out father <laughs> figures. And, because he definitely... George Carlin and Bruce Willis. Well, yeah, because yeah, the, his relationship with Bruce Willis feels... He very, very much feels like having this kind of resentment as being like spurned by like a potential father figure. Whereas... <laughs> George oh, Carlin. It's... George Carlin's like his good dad, and Bruce Willis is his bad dad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, but Trev, you're forgetting. I think actually the ultimate father figure in his life, Stan Lee. Yeah. Oh, oh, I thought you were gonna say Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh my gosh. So, I mean, Trev, that is an interesting perspective. He's got a lot of daddies. He's got a He's... lot of dads. <laughs> Kevin Smith has a lot of daddies. <laughs> Thank you, Trev, for talking about Harvey because that brings me to a next oh, another no. part. So it's called he, a segue. A segue. <laughs> yes, Kevin fails at a lot of those in the book. Uh, <laughs> uh, so there is a point in the book where he says, uh, uh, "Let me try to find it in the in the book itself because it is quite a line." He he says how he is like every single. Mo Fame of his career is because of Harvey Weinstein. Mm -hmm. Oh, true, God. objectively yeah. true. Oh, no. Yeah, I but, mean, yeah, mm -hmm. true, but jeez. And th so this book was written in. Uh, it was released in early 2012, and he talks so much about Harvey, and so much of it is genuinely horrifying now. Oh boy! Like <laughs> what he says, like there's a point in the book where he mentions that he thinks that he saw. Uh, Harvey as the father and Oof. himself, oh or he saw and Quentin as a son, and they all no. had indie spirit. Come on now, no. <laughs> Kevin, buddy. Oh, that sucks so bad. Yeah, <laughs> that's awful. Mm -hmm. Wait, wait. If Harvey's the father and Quentin's the son, what does that make Kevin? Uh, he's a, <laughs> he's a true believer. He is. He is truly the true believer in what he thinks Harvey is, which is like punk rock cinema or whatever. Oh, God. Does he really? see himself as above Quentin Tarantino? No, he worships Quentin Tarantino. No, no, no. no. Oh, He's, thank God. It's, thank the, God. it's the son in the sense of like the Holy Trinity, I think. Oh, the Holy Harvey Trinity. The father, okay. Quentin the son, and like right. Miramax is the Holy <laughs> Spirit, I guess. God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's also a point... <laughs> Early on in the book, when he talks about like around the time he saw like an Adam Rifkin film and also Slacker for the first time, seeing like indie movies made him want to be a filmmaker, and yeah. he uh, misinterprets which pill is the red pill in the Matrix. What? <laughs> yeah, that rules. <laughs> yeah. That's just cool to not know what pill is which in the Matrix. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Let me read this. One Kevin Smith stepped out of the vehicle and headed into the. Angelica Film Center, but two hours later, a very di different Kevin Smith would emerge. It was like taking the blue pill in the Matrix. Oh my God! <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, accidentally so, accurate. That yeah, it's so fitting because Kevin is like a guy who took the blue pill. <laughs> Wait, but I can't believe that made that into the book because mm -hmm. like. You know, books have editors. Yeah. Like someone should have picked that up. Someone should have. I was <laughs> transfixed on that page for like a whole day. <laughs> I couldn't continue reading just because I was like, "How did no one think of 
even rewatching the Matrix. If I were Kevin's editor, I would have had to keep that as is because it's just just describes him too perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to say for the listening audience at home, even if you aren't uh, Kevin Smith's editor, I would recommend rewatching the Matrix because it's mm-hmm. a very good film. Matrix good. Mm-hmm. It's a good, so good flick. <laughs> It's a gr- it's a great flick. Oh wait, what was the other thing that cats. we mentioned? Kevin cats. Kevin he's called oh, cat. And cats and and the special we just watched. He kept saying whatnot. Yeah, it's what and not. it's That's and it was, and yeah. shit and shit like that and whatnot. Every single <sighs> sentence ended with one of those three phrases. Mm-hmm. Just a verbal tick that he can't <sighs> control. So I, I have a question for you, Valerie. Do you mm-hmm. think he wrote that like himself or he had like a ghostwriter? I it is so in his words that I I have to believe he wrote this yeah. himself. It's yeah, it, and sense. I think it's honestly so much of it is how he talks even that I think he must have like recorded himself and then transcribed his own writing. I That's believe really that. what it sounds like. I think that makes sense. Uh, or even better, he <laughs> Actually, I would bet money that this is what happened because it's so perfectly lazy that even I respect it. Um, I wonder if he just recorded it like in audio form and then got someone to transcribe it and edit it for him. Because that would be the funniest shit and I would all, I would kind of respect it. I believe that. I mean, I think Kevin Smith is just kind of like a compulsive writer. He like writes like stream of consciousness, whatever pops into his head and then doesn't edit or change a thing. Like, I think that's how he writes scripts. And it's probably the same with this book. Absolutely. Oh, God. That, could uh, you imagine if Kevin, could you imagine if Kevin Smith ever got into Coke? Oh, oh my God. God. What a world mm. we'd be living He's in. He's like that Hemingway quote about writing. You just sit at a typewriter and bleed. That's Kevin, but it's more like drooling. <laughs> I like to imagine that um, he's like uh, Jack Kerouac and like the uncut <laughs> version of Mallrats that we saw. That was like the script that they found in a single roll on Kevin Smith's typewriter. Oh, like God. he wrote it <laughs> all in one night mm-hmm. on like a Coke binge or something. <laughs> I'm sorry, Valerie, please continue with this book. Okay, so would you like to hear some, like, uh, special, like, who were the original choices for uh, Chasing Amy by Miramax? Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's actually interesting. Uh, In Ben Affleck's role, it was David Schwimmer. (laughs) Dave Schwimmer? Uh, Okay, Kevin made the right choice Mm -hmm. there. Uh, John Stewart as uh, Jason Lee. Oh, my God. What? what? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because he was like an actor no. at that time. He was like an MTV host so. back then, mm-hmm. wasn't he? Yeah. And he had like a bit part on Larry Sanders in like the last few years. Oh. Mm-hmm. And uh, Drew Barrymore as uh, Alyssa. Of course. Yeah. I can kind of see that. But um, I, I can't remember uh, the actress that's they actually hired for um Alyssa. I, I, I will say that re- like hearing about this cast list, the cast that Kevin's picked is a lot better, especially uh like I think Joey Lawrence Adams is a really perfect fifth back character. Mm-hmm. It's very funny. When I saw Chasing Amy, I 
I was very uncomfortable and I came out of it not liking it very much. But looking back, it's one of the films I think I respect most out of Kevin's filmography. No. Um, still don't like it all that much. But out of everything we've seen, this... I put Clerks okay. and I put Clerks is the one I do genuinely really like. And Chasing Amy as like one of the more interesting ones artistically. I agree with I, that. Uh, can't, can't well, Rose, it actually that, segues so into his present feelings about Chasing Amy. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. He, oh, I'm actually very interested in this. Yeah, so he says, he said multiple times in the book that he is, that Chasing Amy is tainted for him because people saw it as like a return film of his. Like, and he was angry that people thought he like matured <laughs> and grown up with that movie. Well, it makes sense. Uh, it makes sense that he <laughs> would follow it up then with uh, was it Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, mm-hmm. one of his most immature, shitty, awful fucking films. Dog Sorry, Dogma was in. Dogma was in between those two. But Jane Silent Bob yeah. Strike Back was the one that felt... That one felt most like a return to uh, uh, the old me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Lord forgive me. Lord forgive me. I'm back to the old me. Making homophobic jokes mm-hmm. with my characters I wrote when I was like 20. <laughs> and it seems like even two decades later, he's still very pissed off about how poorly Mallrats did. It's a bad oh my movie, God. Kevin. It's so bad. It's really bad. It's so funny because he'll be self-deprecating. He even mentions it yeah. in this fucking special. He's like, oh, I'm the guy that made Mallrats. Like, it's obviously a joke because everyone knows Mallrats mm-hmm. sucks, right? But, like, there's under all of his self-deprecating shit, there's this hidden core of, mm-hmm. like, resentment fueling it. It's like the thing where it's like he's, like, really just wants praise where it's like, oh, I'm a fat, stupid idiot. I suck. I can't make movies. Because he wants people to be like, hey, come on. You're actually good. I liked Mallrats. It's not bad. I, I know I've mentioned it before, but like the person I, I do keep thinking of is I do keep on thinking of Tom Green making Freddy Got Fingered. And how obvious mm-hmm. it is from that film that so good. he really didn't care what critics thought. And he welcomed people hating on him. And that gives the film this like purity where it can be very funny. Whereas Kevin pretends to be this like rambunctious, you know, vulgar, oh, I don't give a shit, you know, I'm just making movies, whatever. But he very deeply cares about what people's opinions are. And that always holds him back from being like genuinely um funny and carefree and rebellious tom green was forward thinking it was like at least 10 years before i think people look back on Mm -hmm. freddie got fingered and actually appreciated it yeah i remember last year i was in a class with someone and they made a joke about how freddie got fingered sucks and i and i was like Wow, that's I I was so confused because I thought that take was like five years old and I was like, huh. <laughs> yeah, wrong. Uh, uh, wrong. Yeah. Wrong of Frago Fingered wrong is of. a great film. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, rules. In it, it <laughs> it's and it's at least five times better than the yeah. best character. Travis crunched the numbers on this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the lab all night working on his formula. <laughs> Okay, so I, I found the 
the paragraph. Okay, so this is important to put right on Front Street. Nearly everything I've achieved in life since 1994 I owe to Harvey Weinstein. The larger oh. than life, not a fat joke, half of the legendary Miramax yes. who mainstreamed <laughs> indie film. And to show my gratitude, I made his ideals my own and fought his holy war against the studio infidels oh and heathens. Oh my god. He, Ew, studio infidels. <laughs> his yes, it's so gross. That's all like just buying into Harvey's yeah. personal myth making. Mm -hmm. Like he, he ran, he just ran like an arm of mm. basically <laughs> Disney that distributed uh, quote unquote indie he, movies he, for Disney's profits. You know, mm -hmm. just co-opted co yeah. the oh. independent film movement for the profit of big studios. And he's telling, like, oh, he fought against the studio goes, infidels or whatever. He goes into that, he Trevor. He weird. literally goes into that. <laughs> Let me tell you. So he Please. says that, uh, let's see. <laughs> With a corporate wolf's war, ch war chest under his indie sheep's clothing, oh, Harvey took <laughs> underground film to mainstream <laughs> multiplexes while producing a string of Oscar winners and pop culture landmarks. Disney buying Miramax and his subsequent run of cinematic gems and Drek that would follow was the biggest boon to art patronage since what? the Medici family. Oh, come on. God. This is just insane. Mm -hmm. I, I can't believe this. I bet I I bet Harvey personally fed <laughs> him that Medici comparison. Like I bet I bet he like talked about the Medici family to Kevin is like and Kevin was like, Whoa, this dude's <laughs> like, really smart. With, with Kevin, like I can't tell when he's talking about Harvey Weinstein, I'm like how much of this is genuine ignorance and how much of this is like willful denial because I, I know that Kevin said in the special that we just watched that he's like not a filmmaker which is like ugh, just, just an awful thing to admit when you're this far along mm -hmm. but like he must understand how Harvey Weinstein fits into the history of cinema. Like he must have seen. No, he, I know. I think he, he must have seen understand. how Harvey like affects people around him. Like he must have seen something I that would think, make him feel weird about him. I think Kevin is like gullible enough and like starstruck enough and stupid enough to just. <laughs> To just be like, oh, th that's those are just stories. Like he's a nice guy. I, like he's nice right, to me. Yeah. You know why? Why wouldn't he be a nice guy? True. Mm -hmm. He's he's passionate. He cares about the craft of film, and he, you know, sometimes he might get a little angry. He might blow up at people. He might. Uh, but you know, that's just his. That's just his passion. Yeah. That's for what's film so bizarre to out. me is that Kevin's talking about him like he, like Harvey Weinstein himself, is like an auteur, renegade filmmaker, and like Harvey's obviously. That's that's the image. I think that's the image mm -hmm. that he yeah. tried to cultivate for himself. Yeah, Kevin, and Kevin is a literally true believer. says he bathed in the Kool Aid. <laughs> Ugh. Ew. Just full of <laughs> yeah. but, but Harvey is just so clearly oh, just God. like he's just a greedy businessman that ended up working in film mm -hmm. and he just wants money and the power to abuse people. Yeah. Like, that's all he cares about. He's mm -hmm. not like Yeah, but he made his name synonymous with like true, indie yeah. and art film yeah. in the nineties. He was very successful at creating mm -hmm. that kind of mythos around himself and then he used that 
uh, position to become a very mm-hmm. prolific yeah. abuser of women mm-hmm. and well, people in general. God, Kevin loves him. <laughs> I wonder if he's made any statements yeah. since. I guess we'll find that out later as we progress with him. I uh, So um, I, I wanted to mention this at some point. We talked about how Zach and Miri was such a failure that like it destroyed yeah. his relationship with Harvey and they didn't work together again. He formed his own company uh, to produce Red State, and he called boys. it yeah. the Harvey Boys. Are you fucking kidding me! And oh my God. what Harvey wasn't—he was mm-hmm. Weinstein wasn't involved at all. Uh, Kevin just named the company yeah him that and like some other guy that wor- was like Harvey's assistant who later left. Yeah, they worshipped <laughs> oh him. God, what what an absolute bootleg! <laughs> the Harvey oh Boys. God. When Har- when Harvey wouldn't even produce his movies anymore, he <laughs> still like was paying tribute to him. But there was one movie that changed that for him. Oh my god! <laughs> they made him. Oh they made him like turn against Harvey slightly. And made made him see that Harvey changed and went for more studio schlock. One it was, she's all that. Oh boy. Oh. She's all that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Wait. Why? Why she's all that? Why? Why is that? Why is that the one? <laughs> because when when Kevin saw that he's like, that is not a Miramax movie, but it has it's the a logo. brand. <laughs> I, I, that just, that was not a movie that even popped into my head. Fucking Mallrats is at least as stupid and lowbrow and mainstream. Oh, she's all that rules. As she's, she's all, all that. that is amazing. It's <laughs> more entertaining than most of Kevin Smith's movies, I would say. <laughs> I'd say all of all them. Right. I, I have, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I'm willing to believe you. <laughs> Uh, let's talk Zach and Miri. Let's talk about his experience with that. Oh, yes. Oh, actually, Valerie, can I ask? So um, when in Kevin's filmography was this book actually like written? This was written in 2012. So this was post okay, that makes sense. Uh, Red State. Oh, okay. Yes. yes. And then for uh, listeners at home, the uh, Too Fat for 40 special was 2010. So that was like right before Red State. Mm-hmm. That's weird because he does like talk about the main, one of the main characters in Red State in that. That's strange. Oh, unless, one sec. Unless I have the timeline. Well, I think he, he even like explains who it is in case people haven't seen it, which I guess yeah. maybe none of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just looked up Red State was 2011 mm-hmm. and the special I'm pretty sure was 2010. But yes, yeah, so... He talks about how he he blames the the whole issue of the movie and how it didn't do well on marketing and how people refused <laughs> to have uh, make a porno in the title before 9 p.m. He he thinks that's the problem. Right. Ugh, of course, because yeah, people he, who were like seeing the trailers that. for Zack and Miri automatically would be like, once they could sit here and see like no movie called Zack and Miri, they'd be like, what? Well, we should go home then. <laughs> And this is, sorry to jump back, but this was another thing in the special that I was just like, it was one of those, oh my God, he admitted kind of moments Mm -hmm. where like with Zach and Miri make a porno, he fully admitted 
that he saw Judd Apatow making movies that made a ton of money. And he said, I could do that. Mm -hmm. And then he tried to do that. And then he utterly failed. And I mean, that was a gross admission on its own. Just being like, I tried to copy this guy's style because I thought it'd make me money. But also that he said that Judd Apatow was making the same kind of movies as him. Like, I think feeling like Judd Apatow was, you know ripping him off or mm -hmm. something and i'm not the biggest judd apatow fan but i have genuinely laughed really hard at judd apatow films in a way that kevin smith's filmography does not make me react mm -hmm. yeah he earnestly see the the thing he sees in judd apatow movies that he thinks is the same with his is he thinks his movies are about bromances oh mm-hmm Bromances, really? my God. Um, Valerie, you were saying that Kevin Smith sees uh, his films as bromances. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been um, re-watching some old episodes of Red Letter Media's Half in the Bag recently. Mm -hmm. And uh, surprisingly, like some Kevin Smith stuff have, has come up in it. And the way that they describe like, how you make a Kevin Smith film is that like Kevin Smith films are just these two people are in a relationship and then you insert like star Wars references. <laughs> <big jokes. laughs> and that's, it. that's all it and is like, folks. Apparently that's how he sees his films too. There's one point in it where literally says with Zach and Mary, he he's so pissed off about the marketing with how like they can't have a, a like a tray, a trailer or like posters even made for it. So they went with the stick figure one. And literally, he goes in and and he complains about how like Miramax was able to make the crying game, but not this. <laughs> and 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 he says a derogatory oh, phrase about no. trans people. Yeah. Oh no! To, to be like, oh, you sold no. that movie, but you can't sell this. Oh, God. <laughs> mm -hmm. Ew. Yeah. Did Terrible. he actually? Did he actually like use the slur in, um, in the book? Uh, he, he says. Um, uh, I'm I'm uncomfortable saying it, but uh, <laughs> but the the uh, slur. Uh, I'll bleed no, you if you want. no, no. He says uh, chicks with dicks. Oh, oh God. come on! But, well, yeah, just like. But the in whole clerks. thing about the crying game was that that was like a big twist. It wasn't like in the title and mm -hmm. on the poster and shit. It wasn't <laughs> like the. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say, but you know what I'm so getting I, at. I I, <laughs> yeah. I do also find it confusing when he's talking about like Zach and Mary make a porno that like. Um, yeah, maybe the marketing was a little bit of a problem, but the thing is, if Kevin just wants to make a shitload of money, then don't name it Zach and Mary make a porno. Mm -hmm. Like, but if you want to make this like shocking film or whatever, like if you're committed to your art and you're okay with like not everyone coming to see it, then like, yeah, putting porno in the title is probably fine. But at this point, he really, I mean, he sounds like Harvey. He just sounds like a businessman mm -hmm. and he's annoyed that like, He's more annoyed about the marketing choices than he is like focused on his own. Well, yeah, filmmaking. and also he doesn't mm -hmm. leave any room for the possibility that like it just didn't interest audiences because it's just kind of like yeah, a hollow yeah. concept and an obvious ripoff of stuff that was popular mm -hmm. at the time. You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. like he has such contempt for the masses. That it's like, oh, the only reason not enough people went to see it is because Harvey didn't market it right. And it couldn't have possibly been that his shitty movie just wasn't appealing to people. Yeah, absolutely. And and Valerie, I'm, I'm curious, like, 
does he think that the film was good enough to like warrant the box office that he wants like does he care for zach and mary make a porno he, he seems to simultaneously think that it wasn't good because it was all about movie production because he hasn't lived a real life in uh-huh. 15 years at this point but he also for some reason he just he's I genuinely do think he has contempt for the masses because he's like, yeah. why couldn't they laugh at this as much as they <laughs> laughed at Knocked oh, Up? Oh, no. Uh, oh, come on, man. Well, and, and, and he does mention in his special that like when he watches Zack and Mary make a porno that he really kind of loathes Zack and Mary mm-hmm. and he wants to yell at the screen, like, get a job or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And... Everything about that film is like that film was so boring when I watched it, but now it becomes stranger and stranger thinking about Kevin's the way that he produced it because more and more it sounds like this was a complete money grab project where he was producing a film where he actively disliked the main characters and he was only doing it because he was like, well, you know, the slobs that come and see this movie will relate to dumbass uh, <laughs> Seth Rogen and mm-hmm. his stupid yeah. <laughs> roommate, even though I think that they're like horrible or or whatever. Like there is a uh, there's a weird just negativity to everything mm-hmm. and, and a real lack of um, a, a lack of uh, love for the project and, and for the characters mm-hmm. and the audience. Yeah, there was a certain point in the book. I don't have it written down, but he basically says that like he's like i'll never be martin scorsese but those like people that make like average to mundane to crap i could do about as well as them (laughs) i could be the next brett ratner Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, that's that sucks so bad yeah Uh, there's more there's so much more I'm oh, I'm sorry I'm going a bit long, but no, it's, just, oh, all it's the time fine. I'm can... loving this. Okay, I think it's about time that I drop this uh, <laughs> uh, new piece of Kevin like psychology onto oh, you to try to understand his movies now. So he near the end of the book he dedicates. Uh, he he kind of does a dedication chapter talking about the about the director who he thinks who who he generally thinks he's most like and who he wants to strive to be. Okay. Oh no. Who is it? Give a guess, please. Uh ooh. I'm I'm I mean I'm gonna go with the know. obvious one. I'm gonna say um uh oh my gosh, I always, always forget his name. Um the guy the guy who did Slacker and Dazed and Confused. Richard Linklater. Linklater yeah. I I'm gonna say he thinks let he's see, Richard Linklater. Let me see if I can guess. That's that would have been my first thought, but it's too obvious. I feel like Val I, I'm trying to think of what the Who does he It's not it's not <laughs> the most obnoxious it's not Steven choices. Spielberg, is it? <laughs> No. Oh, I hope not. No, no, no way. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, I don't know what Kevin <laughs> Wait, wants to be. Please don't like... tell me it's Spike Lee. No. Ooh, oh, oh, God. No. I could actually feel that one. Oh. <laughs> <I> could... <laughs> Would you like to hear Charlie it? Kaufman? Yeah. Charlie Kaufman? Yeah. Charlie Kaufman. No, it is Mr. John Hughes. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> It was too lame to even think of. Ooh. 
come on, man. Mm-hmm. My God. Those, man, oh, Kevin Smith and John Hughes shouldn't. I feel bad mentioning them in the same mm-hmm. sentence. They okay. are, they are not. John Hughes link. sucks, but Kevin Smith still <laughs> couldn't pull off being John Hughes <laughs> if he wanted to. Trev, mm-hmm. Trev, are you also anti-John? Basically, Hughes? yeah. This is surprising. I, I think. I mean, like, I guess. I, d- I guess I don't nec- like hate John Hughes. Like he's fine. It's just a really fucking. Li- as far as someone you would want to emulate, like as a filmmaker, it's an incredibly lame, oh, yeah. shitty choice. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very vanilla, middle of the road kind of choice. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking Gen but, Xers um, love those stupid ass it- '80s movies. I don't. I just don't give a. Sh- I don't give a shit about any comedy from the '80s. They're not funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hang on, Home Alone is funny. Uh, okay. I I personally sure. like John Hughes a lot. I like the vacation I, movies. Oh yeah, vacate, vacate, vacation is fine. Yeah. I mean, I think Johnny's probably made a lot of crap, and like, yeah, a lot of his films are pretty middle of the road mm-hmm. and follow this pretty specific kind of style. But uh, you know, previous guest that we had on the pod, uh, Leslie Lee, has that great um, two two film. He's director not not role a previous like guest. If, yeah, we haven't had him on the pod. You're getting though, it. You're getting it. You're getting ahead of yourself. Oh my yourself god! There. <laughs> Ted, edit that out. Ted, uh, leaving, it that out. leaving it in. Leaving it in. Jack Allison, who we previously had on the pod from the no, from it's the it's le- it's Leslie's session. rule. Don't try to pawn it off on. Jack. Yeah, just <laughs> say friend of the pod. Just say friend of the pod. You can just say his name. A certain man (laughs) who is a friend of the podcast. A little bird. Someone someone once said, a great man once told me. I heard it through the grapevine. A great man once told me that if a director makes two great movies. Webster's Dictionary defines film as. I believe it was actually um, Roger Ebert who first said that. Roger Ebert contacted us in a seance we did. We were trying to find Kevin Smith's dad, but the wires got crossed and another one of his father figures showed up. But. All right. All, all <laughs> I was going to say is that, so, so uh, Leslie Lee from the podcast Struggle Session, which we are all fans of, um, has that rule that if a director has two... Uh, two great films, and they are basically a great director. And I think that, like, even if John films has uh, John Hughes made a lot of films I don't care about, he has made enough like really standout films that I do hold him in pretty high regard for. Those. I don't know if he has. Yeah, I, kinda, I don't I know if he has those. two unimpeachable uh, films, but we don't really need to get into John Hughes. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I'll, I'll I'll say I'm pro John Hughes at this moment. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off in the Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Honestly, Home Alone. Home Alone's good. And Home Alone. He didn't direct. Sorry, sorry. He didn't direct <laughs> Tangent. Home Alone, but whatever. Oh, did he not? Chris, Chris, Chris Columbus, Columbus directed, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the Harry Potter guy. Mm-hmm. Another 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 great <laughs> example: Home Alone and Harry Potter. Uh, so there you go two films 
what else do we have in, in this book? Okay. What other treasures are there? Okay, so I said this earlier in the Discord, but the but the production of Red State is three oh, no. chapters. Oh, come on. <laughs> It's a very important film. Mm-hmm. How long is this book? This book is 250 pages. I am so sorry. <laughs> Thanks. I am so sorry. <laughs> That's so much. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do want to make it clear just to avoid like if, you know, a war tribunal finds this podcast <laughs> later and decides to kill me for war crimes. <laughs> Valerie was reading this book before uh, she was on the podcast, so... <laughs> Not entirely my fault. Please don't put me in the head. Valerie is the most would, dedicated uh, Kevin Smith scholar among us. We're she is. We're really all, we're is, all just students, really. Absolutely. Va- Valerie's the real. Life. Yeah. <laughs> I would. Bad I would Valerie. never request anybody a- absolute, read absolutely Kevin not. Smith's mm-hmm. book. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. You have bared your soul to the one of the most horrible um, things mm-hmm. in the world and come out stronger yeah. for it, I think, mm-hmm. which it's is like, something not a lot of people could say. It's like reading I'm the Necronomicon. for your sacrifice, but I would never ask anyone to, to do that ever again. Thanks. Yeah, I, yeah, just to make it clear to the listener, I just, like, enjoy watching garbage. <laughs> <laughs> so I do, too, but even... All right. I, I'm not strong strong what do you have to say I'm about Red enough. State? Uh, so he goes into talking about how it was such a new thing uh, for him and how the question that w- was on their minds so often when they were in production for it was what would Harvey do? No. Oh. <laughs> uh, disgusting. Yeah. And then he talks about how the movie was like a road show. That was like his first time doing like just like a old old school style like just tour bus yeah. tour of a movie. And he was he's very much like a business like numbers guy because he's like, well, I made one point eight million with the with the uh, box office, but then I got a deal with this person and then Netflix and then da da da, then da da da, then we were, then we broke even. Kevin has successfully convinced me from the special to this book that you're reading. He has convinced me that he's not an artist (laughs) and he's not a filmmaker because he clearly doesn't care about actually making films. Mm-hmm. Not at all. He cares a lot yeah, about box his, office. His yeah. story from the special about the Zack and Miri box office where he dragged it out, where he's like talking about his wife saying it in slow motion and with each syllable he's trying yeah. to formulate in his mind what the number she's saying is. And it's just like so uh-huh. obsessive about the number, about the amount of money it made on yeah. the first day of the opening weekend. And it's just like... Why the fuck are you talking about this so much? Mm-hmm. And I can't tell if it's just because he wants to be richer or if it's that he wants to like impress Harvey, you know. He, wa- and he like, wants whenever acceptance. I... He wants to be seen as the a success. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, when I listen to like um, interviews with other directors, I shouldn't say other directors I really like. When When I hear <laughs> interviews with directors I really like, sometimes box office comes up but it's usually in the context of like 
uh, you know, this movie did really well, so I was able to make this. Or this movie didn't do well, so I wasn't able to make this at the time I wanted to. It doesn't usually come down to like how Kevin describes it, where it's like his entire worth is based on if, you know, Zack and Mary flops or succeeds. And it's weird that he was so uh, like concerned about that because he knows that it's like sort of a ripoff of Judd Apatow. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. sa- he yeah. says it. So like, uh, in the special it's so easy to just be like well i didn't really do my own it wasn't my own movie so that's why it didn't do uh-huh. well that's so easy and he does he still is like so well, obsessed about it i think oh, he had a lot of ideas movie. about that kind of stuff drilled into his head by harvey uh, mm-hmm. yeah it makes sense and it really seems like the weed and also the hockey jerseys honestly they seem like a direct result <laughs> to him trying to escape the old Kevin. Oh my god! He doesn't want to be the right. old Kevin, the one that like wore was like black shirts and it's shorts. It's his, rebe- his rebellious wants- face oh. <laughs> as mm-hmm. a forty-year-old man. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think it's like a midlife crisis kind of thing, like getting into the weed and, and trying to be cool again and all that? Oh it's, yeah, it's, it's I think like it's a delayed part that like a delayed adolescence. Hmm. I think it's honestly part that, and also I think honestly part, he's realizing how bad he is at what he chose to do with his life. And he doesn't want to admit that to himself. (laughs) Oh my god, that's rough. And so he gets into weed, and then he starts, he he, he goes through all of his old movies and shows that he bought and never watched, and he watches some, like, uh, hockey documentary. Yeah, Yeah, that's in the special. And, And, yeah... It's also in the special. I kind of skipped over that because I already read it in the book. <laughs> but he he sees Wayne Gretzky, Gretzky especially as a sort of god, and he looked at like Gretzky oh, yeah. quotes and was like, "Wow, that is so much my new dad." It's... <laughs> oh, this guy was nice at one point. He's mm-hmm. my dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're my dad now. <laughs> oh, uh, R- Rose, I I was curious about your thought on this because he um when he's telling that Wayne Gretzky story, he invokes that Canadian stereotype that like all Canadians oh. are like oh. nice unlike Americans who are all mean and hate each other, which I consider to be a harmful stereotype, but I'm curious how you, uh-huh. as an actual Canadian, <laughs> feel about that kind of thing. As a proud Look, Canadian. I, I, I try not to get political on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I gotta say, this um, this Canadian stereotyping, this, I'll, I'll say it, this anti-Canadian oh, wow. uh, bigotry, it, it has to to stop i cannot believe that i'm still putting up with these stereotypes well, he's trying to praise canadians for these stereotypical qualities it's almost like he's making you like a model nationality or something i i think he's uh what is the term like yeah yeah, yeah. Whatever. he's doing yeah. orientalism uh, with canadians mm-hmm. yeah he's is his, there's yeah. his wife he's isn't doing canadian. on us Maples. his wife isn't canadian is she no, uh, no. no at least i don't know i don't believe okay. so I thought about his wife a lot during the special, and like, well, you could like not. More, well, I, yeah, but like the more he talked about her and you know how much he loves talking to her, or whatever, I just like kept on being like, I wonder what this woman is like. In I real know. Life. Like, I wonder yeah. what their interactions are like in private. 
Because I can't imagine who this person is that just finds all this like so charming. She must either be totally miserable or really <laughs> fucking weird yeah. to be They've around. They've been married or, forever. Or like that's his only wife, so I assume something is working. Yeah. <laughs> Um, two, I guess two weirdos found each mm-hmm. other. <laughs> yeah, they used to do a podcast together on Smodcast, oh. so I'm oh, God. I'm very curious to listen to that now, honestly. Oh, yeah. oh but, man. We may have you back on for that episode, Valerie, because <laughs> I'm actually very interested in hearing this woman speak. <laughs> She's it's impossible for me to put myself in her shoes and figure out a kind of person I could be and he not does a mini-chapter about how he worship, He also worshipped Tarantino, especially after yeah, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Of course. Fair. And he's have have you have you all seen uh, Red State yet? Uh, I I've seen it okay. before, but I need to Same. rewatch I it a to long, get long a fresh. Ago. So he sees the movie as a mix between an answer to Pulp Fiction and no. Coen Brothers. Yeah, I, I fucking knew. It. Oh, I can see oh, the Coen Brothers connection. There's so much No Country yeah. for Old oh. Men in it. I just became ill. Ugh. But Tarantino, Ugh. no, come on. Pulp Fiction. I, <laughs> I just watched Inside Lewin Davis last night, which is one of my favorite movies. Ooh, mm-hmm. I love that movie. It's so good. And I, it also dawned on me that it's like just kind of like clerks, but not shitty. I mean, it is <laughs> no. different. But the core conceit of being like a shitty guy who's like, going around and not really trying that hard and being shitty all the time is what clerks should have been. Well, mm. is it form of what clerks should have been? But also it's just good and clerks is mm-hmm. not nearly as good. Like yeah. now that you bring up the Coen brothers, the other movie that comes to mind for me is um, The Big Lebowski. And I think the humor in that film uh, is definitely similar to like what Kevin Smith tries to attempt in a lot of his movies. Yeah. But obviously just like so Whiffs. much better. So, so much mm-hmm. better. Yeah. I, I, I can imagine Kevin Smith in his head, like imagining that he, a big Lebowski and then writing it out on paper and it turns into like clerks too, you know? Like. <laughs> Like Big Lebowski is like his wildest yeah. dreams of what he thinks he mm-hmm. he might. Yeah, be I especially think of those scenes be. in the bowling alley. Just like the way the characters interact there definitely feels like um some of Kevin Smith's stuff, especially yeah, like like mole rats or whatever. Um, but just done at such a high level. And the last thing I want to talk about is he gets into podcasts. It's, oh yes, it's his getting into podcasts. So he talks <laughs> about how he basically the reason he started Smodcast was because he thought that like him and Scott Mosier were were kind of just becoming like work friends and not really having like actual conversations anymore, and so he decided to monetize it as also a show. Uh. <laughs> so what if uh, we just made it? Explicitly that Scott. Mm-hmm. What if we dropped all pretense? <laughs> oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what what if you were paid to be my friend? <laughs> he, he was ahead of the game on that parasocial shit. He had he had he weird was, yeah. sweaty fans that he knew would like pay to <laughs> listen to him just talk, which is And I, I do keep waiting for the day me. when like a ravenous 
Kevin Smith fan like appears in my DMs because I know that they still exist. And I think it is that very parasocial thing. Like I think Kevin Smith fans more than most directors are like fans of Kevin Smith, the person Mm -hmm. with the films being like a way that he is expressing himself. It's very different than fans of other directors where they're really fans of like the films on their own. And then the director is just like the person behind them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the Kevin's actual work is very secondary to whatever his Mm -hmm. appeal is to these freakish people. Yeah. It's yeah. (laughs) It's almost like a boy band in that it has nothing to do with the music. It's just about the idea of these people. It's about these guys. Yeah, it's about this, like, type of guy. Boy bands are like, what if uh, cute guys were also nice? Um, And Kevin Smith is like, what if, like, fat guys like me were also popular and famous? But all those kids in boy bands... they did have to be talented. <laughs> Kevin doesn't yeah. have any talent. Yeah. But that's part Which, of it. Before, I would say that that's a harsh thing to say. But Kevin pretty much he said admits, it on his specials. So. <laughs> I'm finding it so hard to be nice. Mm-hmm. Everything I've been trying to tell you since this podcast started, he came out and said it. <laughs> on podcasts, he, he even he said something said almost verbatim to what we said uh, a few episodes ago with Jack. Uh, where he said like um, he's talking about how like oh clerks and mall rats those weren't even really movies uh, I, I just I podcasts hadn't been invented yet so I just had to film it or whatever yeah and, like yeah. that's the same yeah. thing he's we like, said he, about he him like he knows that he was never meant he, to be he just wanted to speak to his audience and he wrote like a film around that it really goes into like how just yeah a fandom just grew and grew for these guys as podcast people and like his he talks about his friends though the brian johnson and uh walt flanagan from tell him steve dave those guys uh-huh. and oh, he, yeah and he says how like he talks about how they were like friends for years before he went off to film school and th- th- he says we didn't drink smoke or do drugs and 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 uh, talk about like dc comics and stars and it's like well you guys sound like fucking losers yeah like <laughs> come on oh god it's like the more details that we find out like i'm, I'm getting more and more of a vivid picture mm-hmm. of kevin and the more i learn the, mm-hmm. the less at least the do drugs and cool also and do that is. yeah like this guy who went to film school or whatever and was like totally dead sober mm-hmm. and uh then got in with Harvey Weinstein <laughs> and became a company lackey until he decided that he wanted to smoke weed with um Seth Rogen and be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then his next project was spent like pissing off Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and the super funny thing now that I found out recently after the, the cop out episode is that uh, that compound media podcast is one that Brian Johnson is a co-host of. Oh, wow. So, well, that makes so, sense. So yeah, then. the, Anf- the Anthony Akumia connection is deep now. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ke- Kev- Kevin's and Kevin's right there in that little Anthony Akumia universe. Um, about it. There's, uh, there's, a lot more but frankly 
nothing else is even worth <laughs> talking about ever again. This I, I want to burn this book. I really want to burn this book. Oh, that! Thank you so much, Valerie. You're welcome. That was tough shit. Life lessons from a big fat fuck loser idiot or something like that. The right? fat fuck who By made clerks the book. Well, thank yeah. you well, uh, for I your mean, important uh, uh, journalism. Uh, what what would you what would you uh, rate uh, this book if you were to um, give it a, a quick uh, review? Let's see. Um, I'd give it a nice uh, half star for being written on pages and publishers <laughs> working on it and the people who sent the book out to nice. bookstores love those bookstores <laughs> the people working at bookstores they all did they all did their best they all earned that, that half book. star <laughs> yes <laughs> out, of, out of out of how many stars we're gonna leave off on a very special kevin's kevin's receipts yes of a certain um, piece of writing from March 1st, 2000, about Kevin Smith. That's my birthday. <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> uh, written by film by famed film critic and professor Andrew Saris. The okay. headline is, The Next Scorsese, <laughs> Kevin Smith. No. No. Oh yes. my god. Yes. You're fucking kidding. Oh my god. This no. is from 2000. After all we've just learned. 2000. Okay. The, oh my god. The, the most talented next generation of fil film directors since the auteurs of the 70s is upon us. They won't all last. No. They won't all leave a great body of work. And they won't all continue making ambitious movies. Which one of them will become the next Scorsese? Kevin Smith burst on the independent film scene with his first uh. directorial effort, Clerks, a $27,000 production, which not only won major awards at the 1994 Sundance and Cannes Film Festivals, but also has become the subject of his own comic book title for Jane Simon Bob's Secret Sash, a store in Red Bank, New Jersey. And that was just in the last millennium for our new epoch the the 29 year old smith is toiling on clerks the animated series scheduled to appear on abc sometime in 2000 uh smith's uh flair for merchandising and recycling the fruits of his labor is one of the reasons <laughs> i am betting on him to break out of the low budget ghetto and into the movie mainstream of course smith and will have to consent to allow himself to be dragged into the lair of suits with the big cigars. Some years ago, I predicted that <laughs> Hal Hartley was the most likely Sundance kid to break out of the pack of underfinanced overachievers. So far, I've been proven wrong. Smith is to New Jersey what Hartley is to Long Island. With respect to the sources of their satirically absurd temperaments, I suspect that Smith is the cannier businessman of the two. Oh my god. Oh god. His his partnership with Scott Mosier and the production company Viewskew, a characteristically witty name in itself, is one sign that is his it? Sundance sensibility has been blessed with Silicon Valley entrepreneurial oh, energy. Fuck off. <laughs> Another Fuck off. Oh my god. This sucks so bad. <laughs> 
Don't encourage him. <laughs> Another is his versatility as a writer. Not only for his four <laughs> films it? to date and his comic books, but also a collaborator with indie maven John Pearson on J- John on Pearson's book Spike, Mike uh, Slackers, and a word for lesbians. I will not say. <laughs> a zestful account of the past decade's low slash no budget filmmaking in addition he executive produced the best picture nominee goodwill hunting and as if that all wasn't weren't enough he is close he is a close buddy of ben affleck and matt damon Smith himself even acts in a recurring role of Silent Bob in tandem with the talkatively hip Jay, played by Jason Muse. Paradoxically, as far as my prediction goes, I must convince that I have been overwhelmed by only one of Smith's four films, but this one winner was a home run with the bases loaded, which Morvin makes up for his overall batting average. I'm speaking, of course, of his sublime Chase and Amy. Oh, I knew he was going to say that. (laughs) Motherfucker! I hate this guy. (laughs) Sparked by the incandescent Joey Lauren M's. By comparison, Clark struck me as so-so, Mallrats less than so-so, and Dogma a fascinating failure. Still, Smith has established a more of a respect- respectable groundwork for presumably higher things to come. What is important is that he has found the financing of- for four films in five years and still stri- surviving, thriving, and staying off the streets. <laughs> it continues. So, what... <laughs> <laughs> What is this praise? His, he's this, like this three of the movies he's made aren't good. Okay. Comparing Kevin Smith to like honestly one of the greatest living filmmakers like to this day, almost nobody is at Scorsese's level, mm-hmm. especially not Kevin Smith. Andrew Saris's mind must have been going by the time he wrote this. He was already getting pretty old, Real I think, galaxy by brain. this time. I would be happier with Smith if he stopped giving uh, interviews about his alleged shortcomings as a visual director and about how he doesn't care about the lack of magic in his mise-en-scene as long as the story <laughs> and the dialogue click. For one, Well, then why isn't he just writing? Why is he directing? Mm-hmm. For one thing, he shouldn't be pro- providing ammo to reviewers who c- couldn't recognize visual style if it uh, knocked him on the noggin. For another, it is disingenuous of Smith to claim that he is uninterested in the visual dimension of, of the cinema when he is at the same time addicted to comic strips. Comic strips. Mm-hmm. A sure comic s- even <laughs> a sh- Like Dilbert. I'm so upset. He's a big like Heathcliff fan. <laughs> Motherfucker reading Dilbert. <laughs> Heathcliff's good. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Heathcliff is good. Uh, sure is- uh, Team Garfield over here. <laughs> nice. Uh, whatever. Uh, a sure sign of an... Uh, there's a common enemy currently. A, sh- a sure sign of an artist as much obsessed by how things look as how people talk. Chasing Amy, as a case in point, works on all c- cylinders, visual as well as verbal, to deliver its explosive climaxes. 
actually, what's most surprising about Smith is that he is so good a writer and at the same time fully in tune with the subliterate tastes of young audiences. Indeed, his cultural ambidextrousness bodes well for his future. He is conveniently poised to go either way to dumb down or wise up wherever the movie Zeitgeist takes him. Nobody is a sure thing, of course, but barring any massive misadventure, Kevin Smith is a good bet <laughs> to search onward and upward in the movie business. Now to take oh a big God. sip of coffee he's... and watch James Tom back. He's talking about him like he's Hunter Thompson or something. Like he's so God. in tuned with the culture and can speak to high and low. This man is trolling me. This is a troll. It's designed to make me mad. Well, and I don't want to take the Judging bait. from that review, like I can now begin to see where Kevin like got his own self-image from. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. that is that is just that's a ridiculous Dire. response he, and if mm -hmm. any like if any filmmaker wrote, uh, read that it would just go straight to their head yeah. he Scorsese, has like, zero qualities in common with Scorsese there's nothing about <laughs> not his a films single one like truly not one <laughs> Scorsese if there's one decent director you could compare him to it's obviously Richard Linklater and mm -hmm. like Richard Linklater mm. was basically like part of the same kind of crop of of indie start uh, upstarts that that uh, Saris is like identifying here. So like he's kind of just mm -hmm. like overlooking mm -hmm. yeah. his his existence in in insisting that Kevin Smith is like the new <laughs> uh, auteur king or whatever. <laughs> yeah, bizarre. Mm -hmm. Special thanks to Will Sloan for mentioning that in the Born Cinema Club years back. Oh, wow. <laughs> God. <laughs> well, Oof. I feel I've gotten a very... Um, I'm, you know, these past few films have been so shallow. I'm glad that with this episode, we have really gotten a full picture of Kevin Smith, the man, the yeah. artist, and I am left disgusted. It's a very scholarly episode. We really, uh, really dove into the lore so for this one. Having listened to that. Valerie, you want to plug anything sure. before we go? Uh, so, uh, I'm, uh, I'm at Stealing Valerie on everything, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Twitch, everything. I'm, I stream occasionally, um, uh, me and my friend Lydia are starting a podcast soon called Comedy Plus Time, where I'm going to do basically this with other comedy people. Hopefully from nice. Time pass. Hopefully. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> Valerie, did you say that your podcast is called Comedy Plus Time? It is, yes. That That's a really good title. Yeah, I, like I like that, that a, lot, a lot. Yeah. Thanks. I like that a lot, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, everybody. This has been We Need to Talk About Kevin. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Valerie. We love Thank you very on. much. And really. Thank yeah, you thank for you. your research. My God. God. <laughs> you went where none of us could. I could not. I, I couldn't have. I wouldn't have survived. <laughs> I, I can't and I won't. Than I. Thanks. <laughs> the cop out 
chapter almost broke me. The fucking movie oh, was God. really rough to watch. I mean, <laughs> I know we literally just did an episode on it, but all right, night everybody. <laughs> night. When the sun beats down and melts the tar up on the roof And the streets get so hot, wish your tired feet were fireproof